When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search. But what if you could get rid of the search and just match? You can with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Let's jump into Peppa's world of play. Look for spring flowers, hunt for muddy puddles, and bravely explore exciting places with Peppa play sets. Peppa Pig. Inspiring kid confidence. Hey Her Hoopstats fans, welcome to another episode of Her Hoopstats Unplugged. As always, I'm Megan Gower, here with another Unplugged episode for you, and it is week three already of the NCAA basketball season. Hard to believe that we've already seen two full weeks of college hoops. It's the start of Feast Week and Thanksgiving tournament, so lots of big games coming up to watch. I'm here today with Jacob Mox from our Her Hoopstats team. Hey Jacob, how's it going? Pretty good. How about you? Good, good. So Jacob has been working on our uh, Her Hoop Stats Top 25 that we're releasing every week as a part of the uh, International Hoop Feed or Sports Tours International Hoop Feed Top 25 poll. Um, so we vote in that poll every week and Jacob steers the ship on our rankings. So I wanted to start off talking about that some. Do you want to just kind of talk about what it's like to vote in the poll? Any like I don't know, your process for voting or anything like that that you want to touch on? Yeah, so I, last season, um, I was pretty active in our kind of discussions when Jen was in charge of the poll. So I kind of had a, had the gist of it, how it kind of went down the process of putting together the poll. And I did one week as just like a test last season, but starting in the preseason, was tough um, because the top like four or five kind of had set in stone, but everything below that, it's all so tricky to go through and just start from scratch. Um, and that took a long time. And earlier in this, early in the season, the first couple of weeks, it's, it's difficult to find the balance between last season's results and this season's just few results. Cause you look at like Baylor, who is just outside of last night, just beating up on smaller teams. Um, so it's hard to really gauge what that really means when they're winning like 120 to 40 against everyone. Um, 
So it takes more time to get concrete uh, relative ranks between teams. Um, there's a lot where it's it's there's a lot where it's just a best guess as to what would happen in a head-to-head matchup, which. Uh, as you've seen early in the year, our poll, especially the bottom half, has moved around a ton because just slight missteps by teams where it's so packed in and kind of unknown in that area cause a lot of a lot of chaos. Yeah, it definitely makes sense. It's always so hard early on to tell what teams are going to do, especially teams that have a lot of like changes in their roster composition in the offseason. Uh, it's just always difficult to be able to tell, you know, what that team's going to look like this season and still to make that conclusion with just a few data points so far. I think one of those teams that, you know, has that big change in roster composition and then just a few data points, obviously, for the season is Notre Dame, which we still have in the poll this week. We have them at number 23. They did drop out of the AP poll for the first time. I think it was in something insane. I forget what the number is. I think it was 12 years, 230. Yeah, I think it was 12 years, some massive number of weeks. So, yeah, do you want to talk about your decision to keep them in this week? We'll caveat it with the right now they're like, it's so weird recording this. It's Wednesday night and they are down five in the third quarter to Toledo, which will definitely, if they don't, I don't like pull it out that game, would probably change our opinion. But based off of what we've seen, excluding tonight. Yeah, so going into this week, um, I had them at 20 in the week one poll. Um, They looked shaky to start, so I dropped them even from the preseason poll a little bit. Um, And now at 23, I felt like that was a good spot based on what we had seen. Um, They do get a little bit of a benefit. a pedigree of a team like that, you kind of expect them to get back to their tradition, even though they did have such a large roster changeover. You don't expect them to be that much lower, even. Um, Like you said, that they haven't been outside the top 25 in the AP, or this is the first week in 12-plus years. Um, So, I don't know. I just hadn't at that time seen enough to say that they were worse specifically than like a Michigan or an Indiana who um, are 24, 25, right below them. And they're so, so yeah, um, I think one of the big reasons the AP poll dropped them lower than we did is because of their loss to Tennessee specifically. Um, At the time, I believe we had Tennessee ranked, like 21st, so a loss to them is not that drastic. It's not that harmful to their resume, especially early in the season. Um, and then they only lost by three to Michigan State, who's the number 16 or was the number 16 team in the nation. Um, and we have them at 19. Their, their win over Notre Dame made them the biggest riser in this week's poll, uh, the biggest gainer. Uh, they went up from 24 to 19 in just a week with that one win, basically. And I don't know, I just didn't see any, either of those losses as particularly bad. Um, I guess the AP disagrees. Um, they rank, they kind of view Tennessee a little bit lower than we did to begin the season, which skews things, but that'll kind of even out as the season progresses, I guess. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think, yes, Notre Dame lost two games, which is something we're definitely not accustomed to seeing them do this early on. 
in the season, but for a relatively or extremely really young team, like those are two really strong programs that they lost to. I agree. I don't see them as like bad losses. Michigan State is great. Yeah, I was going to say that like you, you mentioned that they're a really young team. They returned, I think, single-digit percentage of their minutes and points from last season. They lost like 10,000 points in career totals from their starting five that all graduated or something. I, I think it was around 10,000, maybe not up that high. Yeah. But, I, yeah, there's going to be time to work things out. Um, and I don't expect them to continue. I mean, I don't. I don't view them as a team that should be losing to Toledo, um, but here we are, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I still have faith that they'll probably turn that one around. We'll see, I guess. By the time this is released, yeah. we'll have seen if that happens. But, um, right. yeah, I agree. And also, even losing to someone like Toledo, like, with such a young team, like, you're going to have missteps along the way. So, yes, we're accustomed to not seeing yeah. Notre Dame drop a, like, game that's not to a top opponent, but that's something that very well can happen right. this year it doesn't mean that they're not a good team it just means that there's definitely going to be some growing pains along the way for them yeah and looking at their schedule I kind of so just rattling off their next couple of opponents Michigan who's number 21 in the AP Florida Gulf Coast who I don't think is receiving votes but they're they uh, are a team that is better, I think, than they're giving credit for. Um, and, <clears throat> excuse me. And then they face South Dakota State, number 22, South Florida, Minnesota, Yukon, and DePaul. <laughs> that is a gauntlet going into the ACC conference season. And I'm, I see that and worry that they might play like a top 25 team, but come out of that, like, come out of that, uh, six seven game stretch like four and three and people will say oh they shouldn't be there they shouldn't be in the top 25 but that's a that would coming out of that four and three is a very strong non-conference agreed if they can come out of that four and three they're going to be really well prepared for acc play it's not the strength of the acc that we saw last year like if they can come out of that stretch four and three, then things are looking up in my opinion for Notre Dame. That is a tough stretch of games. A lot of really good programs. Yeah, I mean they they their quote unquote their best like their easiest game is Florida Gulf Coast, who's a sneaky game that could be a bit of a trap game. Um, yeah, I think that I think that if they play 500 or four and three in that stretch, that's a good sign, but I worry it might not be seen as a good sign uh, to everyone who's, to people who maybe aren't as aware of how good a South Florida or a South Dakota state or even Minnesota is, I think a little bit underrated at this point in the season. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. Um, It's easy to look at that stretch and like if they don't come out of it with mostly wins, people are going to be concerned, but I think when you look at just the field in general, like those are all very strong programs. Um, though obviously they'll want to get some more wins out of that stretch to try come March time. That will definitely be an impact, which kind of leads us to a question we got on Twitter, which I didn't prepare you for at all. So feel free to just throw whatever you want out because we haven't really talked about seating or anything like that yet but shout out to Hannah Basso one of our Twitter followers she asked us to talk about where we think Notre Dame might be seated in the NCAA tournament so 
we love getting questions from our followers. So I'll try to address that. I'm, I'll answer it first because I was at least prepared to know that I was going to say it. So I see them falling at like a five or six seed. I don't see them falling much lower than that. I think it's still, you know, Muffet McGraw's team and she has an ex- Hall of Fame coaching career, right? She's going to be able to take this team and build it into something stronger come ACC time. Um, if they can kind of do really well in the ACC, even if they struggle with some of this beginning non-conference schedule, those non-conference losses aren't going to be bad, excluding if they lose to Toledo, that would be like a bad loss. But like they're they're not going to be, none of them are bad losses. They're all, you know, top 30, top 40 programs. Um, so I don't see anything in there that's like a major like red flag if they lose those early on, especially if they have a strong ACC uh, like strength of play. There's definitely some recency bias to conference turn or to tournament seating. So if they have a strong right. ACC season coming off of a really strong non-conference schedule to prepare them for that, I think they can be a five or six seed, no problem. Yeah, I could. Just kind of looking at their schedule, I could see, I could see them moving up quite a bit, like you said, in the um, in the ACC season because they do have a handful of games against teams that are ranked, but they're all kind of in the fourteen to twenty range that are somewhat not quite in the elite ranks, but still very good. Um, teams that are definitely moving up towards the elite ranks, but haven't also haven't proven themselves that much this year um, or not that much. That was a poor <laughs> phrasing. They similar to Notre Dame, they've been kind of shaky at times or they're just still uh, kind of climbing up the rankings, I guess. Um, teams like Syracuse, NC state, Florida state as well. Um, really their toughest conference opponent is Louisville um, they play them twice, and and they're they don't really have a front loaded or back loaded conference schedule. It's very spaced out, so they have a bit of a breather. They they don't face ranked teams in consecutive games based on the rankings right now. So they have the chance to get on a roll and not and kind of overcome the early two two start and not. It's not likely that they'll lose consecutive games once they get into the conference season yeah I definitely would agree with that um so yeah we shall see March is still a long way away I'm sure we'll be releasing some preview brackets and such before then but not quite there yet not enough data to do that yet in my opinion but (laughs) probably wait until the her who sets uh team ratings are out that definitely makes things a little bit easier kind of point attention to teams that are a little underrated compared to their poll rankings, which is always nice. Definitely agree with that. Yeah. It's always so interesting to me, kind of the like differences between poll rankings and tournament seating. Um, Right. Yeah. So another thing, going back to the poll, I wanted to talk about kind of the top of the field as well. I think we have some differences from the AP there. I believe our top three are the same, but then kind of going down to, you know, where we have UConn and South Carolina and such, we differ a little bit. We've got UConn down at seven compared to four. Um, so, yeah, if you want to talk about that at all. 
Yeah. So like you said, the top three are kind of, there's not going to be <laughs> until someone fit until Oregon and Stanford play each other. There's a good chance that that top three will stay exactly as it is. Um, Oregon is just so dominant. Baylor is so dominant. And Stanford is a really exciting team that they're just kind of hanging behind Oregon a little bit and could give them a challenge in the in the conference season. But yeah, um, at four, I have Oregon State, which I think they're seven. So I think I might have UConn and Oregon State flipped. Yeah. Uh, from the AP poll, we have UConn and Oregon State flipped. I really like Oregon State and... I think that they could have some trouble being in such a deep conference with Oregon and Stanford ahead of them. But they're they're just so I don't know the right word for it. They're they could they could surprise the Pac twelve and sneak up maybe above Stanford. I wouldn't go out as far and I wouldn't go as far as to say that they are likely to pass Oregon, but you never know. Uh, things like that can happen. And then moving down, um, Louisville and South Carolina, I believe they were flipped in the most recent uh, – no, sorry, that was South Carolina and Texas A&M were flipped in the most recent AP poll. Um, so, yeah, the teams below that, I think this last week I saw, I guess, consistency out of them. Our top 14 ranking in, in our top 20, the top 14 of our top 25 did not change whatsoever from week one to week two. Um, they people had slight movement. They had South Carolina jump Texas A&M and they had Louisville jump Maryland. But I don't know. I just, it's been very calm at the top, I think, to start the season. Um, no one is really made a massive jump at the top. Um, it's mostly down at the bottom. There's all kinds of movement because the margins are a little bit thinner down there. Agreed. It makes sense. Um, I mean, no one at the top has lost yet outside of Maryland losing, but that was to South Carolina. So kind of a someone had to right. lose situation. Um, so yeah, it definitely makes sense that it's been quieter up at the top so far. Yeah, I agree with you on having the Oregon State higher up. I think that the Pac-12, I mean, those three teams that we've got in the top four, Pac- Oregon is the favorite, but the Pac-12 really could end up going to any of those three, given how things shake out on any given night. Um, I think they all play each other twice during the season in home and away matchups each. So, yeah, really anybody's game. Mm. If someone can, Oregon State can kind of come in and steal a series, they've probably got a good shot at being – a in contention for that Pac-12 regular season title. Right. And something I kind of forgot to bring up that I really like about Oregon State is they, not talent-wise or like importance-wise, but just stat-wise, they're kind of a top-heavy team. They have, so far this year, they have four scorers who are averaging 14 points or more, including Destiny Slocum, um, who's at 15 and a half, and Michaela Pivot. Pivik or Pivich, I don't remember how to say it, how to pronounce it, but she's wow. I am <laughs> I didn't realize how well she's doing. She's averaging seventeen point eight points, ten point eight rebounds, and six point two assists. That is, those are some video game numbers. Wow. 
Yeah, so they have they have three players averaging 15 points and and five over five assists per game, which is absurd to me. Uh, they, they just have a com just a lot of talent that is elite, and I think that it can kind of be an X factor against those teams like Sanford and UConn. Not or sorry, not UConn, Oregon. I was like, got little wires crossed, um, but. And that isn't to say that Oregon and Sanford don't have that. Um, Oregon definitely has that with Savali and UNESCO just play with a swagger. But yeah, anything can happen with when you have a talent like Oregon State has. Definitely, definitely agree. Um, yeah, and coming back to UConn, there's kind of a team that strikes me as just having so many question marks, which I think is a lot of why we have them kind of at seven versus eight people's got them at four. Um, just a lot right. of they've looked okay so far. I would say I feel like they started out probably not the way that UConn typically starts out. Um, they played yesterday right. against Virginia, and it looked like a typical UConn game. <laughs> um, so yeah, it'll be interesting to see how things shake out there. But yeah, a lot of question marks, and I think we still haven't seen them with the like a real top twenty-five test. Um, so until we see that, we right. don't really know how that talent's going to stack up. Yeah, and they, people talk about how, oh, they lost uh, Katie Lou Samuelson, and they lost Nafisa Collier, who were great, great players. It's not like they don't have names. They still have Crystal Dangerfield. They have Olivia Nelson Adota and Megan Walker. And, like, their top four scorers are big, big names. And, yeah, it's, I can see why the AP has them up at four and I can also understand why I put them at seven. I think I took more of a hedging bets uh, take on that where their high end is four and their low end is maybe like, I don't know, like 11, 12 ish. So I think that if the purpose of the poll is to predict who they could beat, I think that, with so many question marks, it is better to keep them more in the middle. That's what we did with Tennessee early in the year. The, we saw them as high as like 15, I think, in some like in some of the way too early top 10, top 25s. I saw them as low as like not even considered for the top 25. I think we put them right around 23-ish to start the season, and they've moved up a little bit. Um, all the way up to 17, actually, so far this year. So, yeah, the question mark teams are always difficult. Kind of put them in the middle of their range and then just see how the season shakes out and adjust accordingly. Exactly, yeah. It's so hard to tell, especially when they have kind of these early on games where they're not playing like a another elite opponent. How do you really tell how, you know, if you've got 10, 11 teams that you could probably consider like elite range right now until you see them face up against each other. It's so hard to tell who falls where really in that elite group. Yeah. So yeah, kind of going back to Notre Dame and kind of that gauntlet schedule you're talking about brings us into talking about some of those upcoming Thanksgiving tournaments, Feast Week tournaments, whatever you want to call them, which is next week. Kind of crazy that we're already at Thanksgiving. But anyway, um, so Notre Dame's playing in the Cancun Challenge alongside you know three of those hard opponents with South Florida, South Dakota State, and Florida Gulf Coast. Right. And, and you throw in 
teams that they aren't playing that are also there, or I guess two big ones. So Western Virginia, Western Virginia, who's kind of hanging around the the received votes, and then Missouri, who was a seven seed in last season's tournament. Um, they aren't nearly the same team this year. They lost Sophie Cunningham to the WNBA, but they're still they're a SEC team. You can never discount a team in a Power Five conference like that. Um, I think that the Cancun Challenge is one of the top, like I'd say, probably the second best uh, uh, Thanksgiving tournament, and it has the potential to have a lot of good close games that can really impact down the road the like we mentioned before, the seeding in the NCAA tournament. Definitely. I feel like that South Dakota State, South Florida game on like 11 a.m. Eastern time on Thursday morning. So Thanksgiving morning is going to be a great game. So if someone's looking for something to do before you eat turkey, that is one to watch. Right. And then the next the next day on Black Friday, the 10 a.m. for me, Central Time, the 10 a.m. game is Notre Dame, South Dakota State. And that's going to be another game. I think that'll get a little bit more notoriety because it is Notre Dame compared to South Florida, but both those games are going to be very good. Yeah, and then kind of the like marquee matchup, I would say, is that Saturday game that's 11 a.m. Eastern again, so another early one, but South Florida-Notre Dame should be a great game as well. Um, that one, I won't be surprised if South Florida comes out with the win there. They gave Baylor, granted it was a Lauren Coxless Baylor, but still a tough fight the other night in Waco. So definitely be interesting to see how that turns out. Yeah. And then I think the really, well, let's hold off on the, the paradise jam one, (laughs) since that would be kind of the most elite uh, bracket. But um, so one of the other uh, tournaments is the Gulf coast showcase, which, has a good combination of kind of power five mixed with mid-major uh, talent in it. Um, the field includes uh, Gonzaga, Arizona State, uh, Maine, who is not really in talks in terms of being ranked. But they have one of the best mid-major players in the country um, in Blanca, and I'm forgetting her first. I think it's Milan or Milian. I always forget if, if it's two L's or, or L-I-A. Let me... Yeah, Blanca Milan. She's a senior guard. Um, she is one of the better mid-major players in the country. Um, is not talked about as much as players at... I, it's kind of weird to say, but like higher mid-major teams, but she's definitely up there among the best. Um, Drake is also in that. And Purdue, Middle Tennessee, Auburn. So you have a good mix of the Power Five and the mid-major schools in there. Yeah, definitely. That one should be another good one to watch. Any specific games from that one you're looking forward to watching? Um, I think the second round matchup in the bottom half of the bracket, which very well might be Drake, Arizona State. I think that could be a very good matchup. Um, Arizona State, who is they're no longer ranked in the AP poll, but I still have them at 16. That's actually a pretty sizable difference yeah. compared to the AP poll. I had not realized how large that gap was. Um, but they could end up facing Drake, who in the AP poll is also receiving votes, and we have them at 21st. 
I think that could be kind of a sneaky good game um, that maybe doesn't get as much publicity as one of the other tournaments games like the South Florida Notre Dame. But the level of play there is still very good. Um, and that that would be if both teams end up in the in the champions bracket, that would be seven thirty on Saturday. Nice. The, yeah. I think that could be good. Um, I know Gonzaga started out the season with, or yeah, they're ranked in the AP, and we gave them consideration in the Hoop Stats Top 25. And they're on the rise. They had that very close game <clears throat> against Stanford. I think it went to overtime. Yes. yes. Stanford yeah. won it, but yeah, it went into overtime. So the right. competitive one. Yeah. And that was a game where someone who happened to be watching it just sent a little little reminder in our watch party uh, channel and just said like, hey, you might want to tune in. And we, I think four or five of us that were awake at the time decided to watch the end of that. It was a good end of the game. Um, kind of got away in overtime, but yeah. Yeah, definitely. And they could end up facing... Um, Either Auburn or Middle Tennessee, who aren't premier teams, but kind of paves the way for Gonzaga to maybe make a run through that tournament and bolster their resume um, early in the season. Definitely, definitely. Another good set of games. And then you've got kind of the premier tournament in Paradise Jam. This one, though, feels like a team from, or a tease to me because you've got the two sides of the bracket. They never meet at the end. And it's like Oregon on one and Baylor on the other. And it's like, oh, I would kill to have that game. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of the drawback of having uh, it. It has to do with the exempt rules in the NCAA where you can only play so many games in the tournament. So they want to bring in eight of the best teams in the country, but they can't all face each other. So uh, they refer to them as the island tournament and the reef tournament, even though they're I wouldn't they're not exactly tournaments. They're more round robins. Um, in the island side, you have UT Arlington and Oklahoma State, and then Louisville and Oregon. Obviously, the heavy hitters on that side. Um, so those four teams will each play each other once, and then in the reef tournament, you have Washington State, and then three of our ranked teams. You have Baylor. South Carolina and Indiana. Um, Indiana, a team on the rise, and obviously Baylor, number two in our ranking, and South Carolina is at six. So I think that side of the of the Paradise Jam will produce three fun matchups. Or, I mean, not three. <laughs> uh, each team will play three good matchups, is what I meant to say. There will be 12 good matchups. Every single one of those matchups should be entertaining. Yeah, definitely. I think kind of your marquee games are both the last games on Saturday after Thanksgiving. So we've got Louisville and Oregon at like 4.15 Eastern and then South Carolina and Baylor at 9. But yeah, really that reef tournament side. I mean, you've got on Thanksgiving, Indiana, South Carolina, then uh, Baylor, South or Baylor, Indiana on Friday and then South Carolina, Baylor on Saturday. So three right. really good games there. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, that one will definitely be fun to watch. 
I think they're all on Flow Hoops if people are looking to check them out. So you might have to pay for a subscription. I don't know if they do. Hopefully they do like a week deal or something. Can you just, I don't know. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they do. I think I've gotten that in the past because I know uh, the Drake men's team, they're in the same tournament as the Drake women's team. So that will be a definite purchase of a (laughs) Flow Hoops subscription uh, for the weekend at least or for the week. yeah. Yeah, so definitely I'll go check that out if you're trying to watch some of these games in between eating turkey and leftovers. That's basically what I'll be doing, eating and watching basketball. <laughs> my my family we got we got rid of the turkey tradition and we do tacos now oh, for Thanksgiving. Very different but fun. Tacos yeah. are always good. <laughs> yeah, we realized that no one in our family particularly liked turkey and we all love tacos, so we kinda go nuts and have uh, big like basically a taco bar and then uh, uh, nachos and all that good stuff. So nice. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Whatever your families are eating, we'll all be watching basketball at hoops. That's in between. So <laughs> thanks, Jacob, for joining me today, and thank you all for listening. Whatever you're eating, whether it's turkey or tacos. I hope you all have a great Thanksgiving because we'll probably take the week off next week to celebrate the holidays. In the meantime, we hope you'll check us out wherever you're listening to your podcast. Make sure to rate, subscribe, and review. We love hearing your feedback. You can reach out to us also at podcast at herhoopstats.com and then also on Twitter at herhoopstats. As always, if you like what you're seeing on the set or on the hearing on the podcast, make sure you check out our articles over on Medium and then also check out the site at herhoopstats.com for all your NCAA stats. Just $20 a year to subscribe. Definitely valuable information to have throughout this NCAA season. Thanks all again for listening. Some people just know the best rate for you is a rate based on you with Allstate. Not one based on Carol. She's more focused on hitting a high note than the car in front of her. Why pay a rate based on anyone else? Get one based on you with DriveWise from Allstate. Not available in Alaska or California. Subject to terms and conditions. Rates are determined by several factors which vary by state. In some states, participation in DriveWise allows Allstate to use your driving data for purposes of rating. While in some states, your rate could increase with high-risk driving. Generally, safer drivers will save with DriveWise. Allstate Fire and Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates Northbrook, Illinois.